So we're going to be preaching um, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Um, this is a very important text we're learning from today. God, the Holy Spirit, calls men to be pastors in his church because he loves his church, because he cares for his church. It's a noble office. And God is gracious when he calls men to give their lives, to sacrifice, to commit themselves to serving and loving and caring for God's people. I remember when I was younger, when I was about four or five years old, my mom was a recent convert to Christianity. So we started going to church. We had never really gone to church before. And coming from a uh, single mom household, I remember how secure I felt seeing that there was a man up there who was taking responsibility to lead all the people. He was preaching the truth of the gospel. He was disciplining his life. He was taking accountability. He was there to meet people and greet people and care for them and pray for them. And I remember saying to myself, this is the best. This must be the best job in the world. What, what an office. What a noble thing to be able, called by God, to serve the greatest institution on earth, the church, and care and watch over people's souls. And I was so thankful for that, and it was so beneficial to my life. As I got older, I started to realize that these men weren't perfect. You know, when you're younger, you just think every guy is doing something right. He's Superman. He's perfect. As you get older, hey, Nance, as you get older, you realize that you're not perfect, that you're a sinner, and you realize that even the men who are called to pastor the church, they're sinners. But more importantly, I realized that many of these men weren't qualified. It's one thing to be a sinner who's repenting and being sanctified and growing. It's another thing not to be qualified and being put and be put into the office of pastor. Many men were put into this office because they were charismatic or gifted, or they could keep a crowd. But their integrity was far from God if they were even in a relationship with God. They saw themselves more as Moses incarnate, right? That God directly spoke to them and that they lead the church. They had no accountability. They weren't with a team of men. And I saw many of these men's life end up in shipwreck. Their marriages end up in divorce. Their churches end up splitting. And it was a sad, sad thing to see. I never once heard in my years of being in church, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, even read. It was never put out in front of the church, and I never saw a healthy system where men would actually say, yes, I want to be a pastor, and have a system go through. It was also like there was an alpha male, like the silverback gorilla, and he was the only talented one, and don't you even dare. And why I did that, I have no idea. That wasn't part of preaching prep. But don't even dare to challenge that man. Don't even dare to aspire to be a pastor. There's only one man. You serve Moses, and you serve Moses incarnate alone. And that brought a lot of devastation. That brought a lot of churches that were unhealthy. That it seemed like they'd go in good for a while, and then all of a sudden they would split. All of a sudden the pastor would burn out. All of a sudden the pastor was caught in some conspiracy or scandal. We do not want to see that at Restoration Road. What we want to do is follow and be obedient to the biblical mandate that says, 
Call a team of men, a plurality of elders, to serve God's church. This does many things. Number one, every man is called to be pastor. I'm called to be pastor. Therefore, if I'm just serving this church just as me with no accountability, there's something wrong. I need to be shepherd in my life. I need to be accountable to people. I need to be confessing my sin. I need to realize that I'm not up here and the people are down here, but we're all right here and Jesus is way up there. So that's what we're going towards at Restoration Road. We're going towards a healthy team of pastors who are serving and loving and caring for you. It was great because I don't want to say I never saw a healthy model in church of a team of men leading together because I did when I went to Seven Mile Road. And that was a huge thing for me. For the first time in my life, I saw men humbly serving together, each using their giftings, each using their strength, being accountable, confessing their sin to one another, finding their identity of Jesus, and it was so healthy for their souls, for their family souls, and for the church as a whole. I mean, there were many times you could walk into the room and you wouldn't even know who the lead pastor was because they spoke so openly with each other. There was no fear of, do I say something wrong and the lead pastor is going to think I'm not following Jesus? There was no intimidation. It was all, we're humble servants. We're under shepherds to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that calls men to oversee certain congregations. And we want to take that seriously at Restoration Road. And it's my joy today as we preach through this text and as we come out of the Gospel of John for one week that God has been good to us in calling Joffrey and Dave to come alongside me and that we can serve you guys. That's God's grace to us. That's how we want to lay the foundation for this church. And I think it's already been healthy having them being trained, but even more healthy as they officially step into this office of pastor. So we want to go over the qualifications because we want to make sure that these men meet these qualifications. We want to understand what the office of pastor in is. And I want to just make sure you guys hear this today because in our culture today, this is being lost. This truth is being lost. You need pastors in your life. You need people to care for your soul, to watch over your soul, to shepherd your soul. Many people have been shipwrecked. shipwrecked. Many people have abandoned the faith. Many people have got off on goofy doctrines that are contrary to the word of God because they don't have spiritual authorities and shepherds in their life who are caring for them and loving them. So God has been good to us today. And let's just start to dive into this text. So we're going to start with verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So I want us to not forget it is the Holy Spirit that appoints men to pastor a church. He places that desire in them oftentimes very young. As we had that meeting on Thursday, you heard Joffrey and Dave talking about being called when they were younger. They felt a drawing to the pastoral office. Joffrey even went home and said, Dad, I think I want to be a pastor. And his dad lovingly said, you'll be over that in a week. So Men sometimes respond to that calling of pastor, which is a noble office, but sometimes men reject that calling. You know, I remember hearing Kevin Costner, and his father was a Baptist pastor. And he would sit in that little church with his father, who was a a pastor, and he used to, he said, I used to think, I hope God doesn't call me to be a pastor. He said, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible because I was so afraid of God calling me to be a pastor. 
And if you go through many celebrities, even Denzel Washington, I read the other day, he says, almost daily, I ask myself, am I compromising or should I be pastoring? Elvis Presley even said to the people he was closest to, he was miserable, he was depressed, he was anxious, he sought after the world and everything he had, and he came up empty, and he said, I just feel torn, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. So some men respond to that calling, give their lives. They don't want to be seen. They want to serve and love and pray and sacrifice and advance the gospel while other men reject it. The beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit moves in men's heart. And some men, by the grace of God, respond and give their life to serve the church. It's the work of the Holy Spirit where he's sanctifying people, readying them and getting them ready for the day when they will be put in the office to lay down their life for the flock. It is the work of God, a desire that is given by the Holy Spirit. Now, it is a noble task. So some people say, ah, they look down on people. I want to be a pastor. That's great. I love when a young man, instead of looking at other things, the Holy Spirit's working his heart. He says, you know what? I want to be a pastor when I'm older. I remember when I was younger looking at that pastor, like I told you, I said, that's a, a noble office. It's a noble thing. We want men in Restoration Road, if they are called by God, to be comfortable with coming to me, Joffrey or David, saying, listen, I feel called to be a pastor. We won't say, you'll get over that in a week. We'll say, let's, let's examine this calling. Let's, let's see what it looks like you going in a track. From the time I talked to Joffrey and Dave about pastoring in the future at Restoration Road, it's been two years. It's been two years of them faithfully serving and examining and being accountable. It's a noble office. You watch over men's souls. You pray for the weak and the wounded. You pray for those who are suffering. You pray for those who feel whole. You pray that they would know the gospel. You pray for the suffering. You visit the sick. You preach the gospel, the greatest message on earth. It is a noble office. But it's not an office where you're called to be like a king. Too many times in, um, in our culture, now office is like you become a celebrity. You start signing Bibles. You're driving around in, you know, some $500,000 car. People are kissing your ring. Listen, you're called to be the greatest servant. You're called to lay down your life. You're not called to be served as a king. You're called to lay down your life to serve others. Even though it's a noble office, it's not the office of a celebrity. You're called to be the greatest servant like Jesus is. Jesus made himself nothing. God came in flesh, worked as a carpenter, and became a servant leader. So that's what we're calling men to, the office of servant leader. And so they give us all this qualification, qualification these men must meet. So let's read verse 2 first. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So we're going to go through these qualifications. I want to start with above reproach. Because if the Lord's put the desire in your heart, that means he's going to start working on your character. You're going to go through suffering. He's going to put you in certain situations. He's going to be convicting you. You're going to be repenting. You're going to be growing. You're going to see places where you're immature, that you need to mature, places where you don't see your sin, and people might even come in your life and say you need to grow up in these areas. And so above reproach is actually, if you meet all the rest of the qualifications we go through, you're above reproach. God is looking to shape and move men to be above reproach because it is a public ministry. 
When you're called to be a pastor, you're saying, listen, examine my life. Look at me. Look how I talk. Look how I live. Look how I act. Look how I pray. Look how I preach. You're being examined. Outsiders are looking at you. It's a public office that you are called to. So the Lord is looking first at your character. Do you have integrity? And I love he's not talking about giftings as much here. He's not looking for the most charismatic guy or the best looking guy or the guy who is the best gatherer. He's looking for men who are like Jesus, men who have character, men who are humble, men who have been changed by the gospel. I would take a hundred men who have good character over one man who has giftings like Billy Graham. God is looking for men who have character, who have been shaped by the gospel, who have been humbled by this undeserved grace. And let's move on to our, another qualification. He must be a husband of one wife. You can't have five wives and be a pastor at Restoration Road. But most of all, what he's saying here is a man must be loving his wife like Christ loves the church. This is one thing we've made clear, is this church, your ministry, the pastoral office, never becomes before your family. Never. You love your wife. You treasure her above the church. You treasure her above the office. You must be dedicated and care for her and love her like Christ loves the church. We always ask these questions first. How are you loving your wife? How are you caring for your wife? Is the relationship healthy? Are you leading her in love? Even are you healthy and being physically intimate? That's vital to a marriage. And I'll use PG words there. But that's vital to a marriage. We ask pastors that. Because that's a sign that a marriage is healthy. These men are accountable, and we want to make sure they have integrity. They shouldn't be looking at pornography. No pastors in this house should be looking at pornography. They shouldn't be undressing women with their eyes. They shouldn't be flirting with women. They shouldn't be in unhealthy, inappropriate, emotional relationships with women. Not in this house, not according to the word of God. These men are called to be above reproach. Committed only to their wife. They're called to be one woman men. And let me tell you, I've been encouraged by Dave and Joffrey because they're one woman man. Men who love their wives deeply, who are committed to their wives, and that's healthy for this church. Let's move on. Sober-minded. I feel like every mafia movie I watch, right, there's always that cop that is watching the hospital room that has no idea what he's doing. He's supposed to be protecting the, the person who witnessed against Joey Gambino. And he's either infatuated with the donut or he falls asleep, or someone waves at him and he gets up, and the assassin just walks in, shoots and walks out like nothing happens. I don't know how it happens in every movie. Pastors are not called to be like that guy. They're called to be sober-minded and vigilant, watching over the flock, guarding. You have to be on guard against the enemy, because you're not only taking accountability for your own soul and for your family's soul, souls, You're watching over the souls of a whole congregation. You have to be sober-minded. You have to be vigilant. I remember when I was younger, my mother got me this painting. It was called the Night Vigil. And I loved it. I've always loved this stuff. It had a knight on his knees before the altar with his sword, and he was just up all night. You knew it was nighttime. He was standing watch over the city. 
praying for the weak and the wounded, ready for battle, ready to protect. That's what a pastor is called to do. He's called to pray for each and every one of you. I pray for each and every one of you every week. I pray for your children. I pray when they go up, they will have spouses that love Jesus. I pray that they would be awakened to the truth of gospel, that they would bear fruit in their life, that they would grow up and glorify God and find much joy in that. A pastor must take watch over your soul and be sober-minded and vigilant constantly. He must be on watch. I remember going to see Joel Vec a week and a half ago. You guys know that's been a rough run. I'm with Joel, but he's going the right direction. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you it's miraculous because I heard the nurses when we went in there. So I called up Joffrey um, because I knew Dave had to work in the morning. It was about 12 o'clock, and Joffrey could work from home the next day. So I called Joffrey about 1130 at night. Part of me said I shouldn't call him. I don't want to wake him up, but I said, you know what? He wants to pass our restoration road. Let's do this thing. I called him up, and he was like, I'll see you down there. The truth is I needed to be led too because I'm both Jovek's pastor, but I'm also his son-in-law, so I felt so emotionally involved. Um, and the, the ladies had just come home with and said things weren't looking good, so it was tough. And so we went there, and we followed Scripture. We laid hands on him, and we prayed for him. But then we just sat there watching over him. And I said, Joffrey, I ain't going nowhere, man. It just felt like I want to watch over him. I want to pray for him. I want to care for him. Every person needs a pastor. I need a pastor. But when we're in our darkest hour, our brightest hour, they're watching over our souls, and they're going to sit there in the night vigil and be watching over us. And we want to keep raising men at Restoration Road who are willing to sacrifice and willing to do that, who are sober-minded and realize there's a battle going on, and people need to be cared for. They need to be protected. Self-controlled. A man who's called to the office of pastor must, must be disciplined. He must be disciplined with his words. He must watch what he says and who he says it to. He must be disciplined with his thoughts and make sure he's bringing everything under the submission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He must think of the way he acts and the way he moves and everything he does. He must be self-controlled and respectable in the way he acts. He can't just fly off the hinge every time something happens. When adversity comes, he's got to be still-minded and of a sound mind and act and lead well. He can't be at home always upset and gossiping about what's going on. He's got to know his mind, know the gospel, know his hearts, know his thoughts, know his worth, and be self-controlled at all times. Because the Holy Spirit is shaping his heart by his grace, and we need men like this. He must be hospitable. If you don't love people, don't pastor them. You know, if you're the kind of dude that just wants to come out with a pipe once in a while and spread wisdom on people, you're not called to be a pastor. Maybe you can do some speaking events and stuff like that. But you've got to love people if you want to pastor them. You've got to love having them in your home. You've got to roast a pig and let everyone over. You've got to care about people. You've got to open up your house. You've got to have dinner. You've got to disciple people. You've got to want people around so you can love them. You've got to be hospitable. They've got to know if they're in trouble, they can come to you. They've got to know that. I had a youth pastor when I was younger. He was a great guy. He was charismatic to the core, but he was still great to, you know, I still consider myself charismatic with a seatbelt on. But this brother was charismatic. But I tell you, he knew how to love people. I was 19 years old, and I really just 
was found by Jesus. And uh, he gave me, I lived in his house. He gave me a car. I ate dinners with him. I, holidays he would have me over. He basically said, you're part of my family. And that's who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all family. And pastors should be men that say, listen, anytime you need it, I'm here for you. Whether it's dinner, whether it's conversation, whether it's 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever you need, I'm here to guard you, to watch over you, to lead you. I've made my life open to loving people. He has to next be able to teach. So we, we see some qualifications here, some character here, but what, now we're talking about abilities. A man has to be able to teach. And the way I want to explain this is, not every man has to be preaching from the pulpit to be a pastor. But he has to be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in all arenas of life. Whether that's counseling somebody, whether that's in a small group, when that's talking to someone who is not part of the church, he has to be able to communicate and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ well. One of the primary um, responsibilities of a pastor is to protect the flock and keep them awake from false teaching and preach the true gospel to them. So a man must be able to communicate that. He must know the Bible inside and out. A man who is a pastor must be a man of the word. He must know how to teach it, how to expound on it, how to counsel people through it. He must know the scriptures and the gospel and be able to teach it. And I think in a beautiful way, we've been able to watch these men teach us and know the gospel. And they're even going to be teaching a theology track starting um, next September for anyone who wants to grow in their knowledge of the Bible from creation to the end. It's only going to be one time a month um, and no homework that I know of. You just have to read and discuss and be ready. You can write stuff down. But it's going to be a great time for maybe some of you to come under and learn and grow deeper in your faith and deeper theologically. Um, But also, I've been encouraged that these men are able to teach and know the gospel and live the gospel because a pastor um, needs to be able to do that. He must not be a drunkard. This goes in line with the sober-minded thing. A drunk man is not on watch. A drunk man falls into sin. A drunk man falls into temptation. A drunk man does not watch his words. Therefore, it is not fitting for a pastor to be a drunkard. Now, let me say this to you. Does this mean a pastor can't have a beer or a glass of wine? No. Scripture does not prohibit pastors from having a glass of beer, actually a bottle of beer, a glass of wine. Your Savior made over 100 gallons of wine for a wedding. Jesus is not against wine. He's against people being sinful and people being drunk. So while your pastors will make sure they're not being drunk, they might have a glass of beer. Preferably killing an Irish red. Dave likes Guinness. But I want to ensure you that we are sensitive to those who have battled alcoholism, that we are watchful in the way we drink, that we are making sure we are sober-minded, and we are making sure we are not doing that in excess according to the word of God. I just wanted to state that because I want to say we're not drunkards, and then you, you go to Waxy's and you see Joffrey drinking a beer, and you say, all right, I knew these guys were talking mess. But we need to have a healthy understanding like Scripture does of these things. Moving on, 
not violent but gentle. I remember someone telling me a story one time of a pastor who was challenged and he punched the guy out. Probably not the best thing to do as a pastor. Yeah, the guys might think you're tough, but (laughs) that's not a good shepherdly act. Now, once again, we want to bring balance to all these things. If someone attacks my family, I will throw blows, but I will not be a violent man. You understand what I'm saying? There's always a balance to these things. The biggest thing I take out of this, have you ever met pastors or men or leaders who rule by intimidation? They don't rule by love and come along you gently. It's always like you don't want to say something that you're not in good standing with them. Or you don't want to say something that's out of line. Or they pull the card like, do you know my office? I'm senior bishop, Archbishop Cardinal Joey. How dare you even look disrespectfully towards me? It's kind of the intimidation that goes like that. And pastors are not called at all to lord over people. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to come lovingly alongside people and lead them like a shepherd would. Get inside their lives. Identify that, listen, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Let me help you lead you through the gospel. There's no leading through intimidation and leading through violence. And people think there's consequences in those kind of things. A man must be gentle if he's going to lead the household of God. He must not be quarrelsome. He can't be that guy. You know that guy that's always confrontational no matter what you're talking about? You'll be talking about bean sprouts. You say, you don't know about bean sprouts. I know about bean sprouts. You know, and before you know it, you're half an hour later saying, what are we talking about here? People are standing up. People are aggravated. Someone's walked out. A pastor should not be someone who's looking for an argument all the time. Someone's saying, he's doing this wrong. We got it right. That church, it, it, that's not what a pastor's called to be. He's called to be someone who brings unity to the body of Christ. And he protects the flock when needed, but he's not looking for an argument. He's not confrontational. He's not that guy to say, you know, i just one of those people who say what they feel. I don't hide it. No, you're rude. You're rude. You don't care about people. You care about your emotions, not about people. And a pastor should not be like that. You know, we asked a question, and I'm going to bust you off your shops a little bit because he knew it was coming because we love each other. And so we asked the wives, you know, is there something? They asked me this when I went before the Acts 29 board. They asked you, if there's one of these qualifications that you think your husband may have, need to grow in and be sanctified in. And so Jess said, uh, maybe he's quarrelsome sometimes. And so Joffrey quickly argued with her and said he's not quarrelsome. And I said, you must be right. <laughs> so I say all this to say that we're all getting sanctified. We all have areas to grow in. But in a whole, pastors should not be people. They should be peacemakers, not quarrelsome. Let's move along. Not a lover of money. And I know I've been talking about our culture as pastors a little bit, but let me tell you something. We've gone astray when it comes to loving money as pastors in our culture. I'm blown away about how bad it's gotten about how men who are called to be pastors no longer live in sacrificial life, life's with his balance, but instead they're taking 25 vacations. They're riding around in $150,000 cars. They're not showing what it means to have a balanced life and what it means to be a pastor and be sacrificial. I'm not saying you have to live in a cardboard home if you're a pastor. I'm saying there is a balance to it where we say to ourselves, I'm going to sacrifice luxuries in this life for the sake 
of advancing the gospel. You can't serve God and money. We know our Savior taught us that. You cannot serve God and money. A man's heart must be focused and obsessed with the gospel, not with money. And too many times the pastoral office has become about money. And the gospel has even been preached as a means of gains financially instead of a means to gain eternally. Now, does this mean we're not going to take care of our pastors financially? Absolutely not. No, we absolutely are. We are committed to take care of our pastors financially. But they know when you come to Restoration Road, you probably are not going to have that 3,000 square foot out on the lake. You know? We work as bivocational men. We sacrifice some of the luxuries of the world because we're not lovers of money by God's grace. We're lovers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever we need to sacrifice, we'll do it for the sake of advancement of the gospel in Wakefield and beyond. And finally, we get to a man must manage his household well. Let's read verses 4 and verses 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? So it's a pretty unspoken rule that if a man's house is a mess, the church will be a mess. If the man is in debt financially and doesn't know how to handle his finances, then the church will be in debt financially and not know how to manage their finances. If a man does not, is overly passive and does not love and discipline his children, then the church will not be in order. There will be no love and no discipline and no order. The house of God will marry your house as a pastor. I've seen it over and over again. So we've been closely watching Dave and Joffrey to see if they're good dads, which is important. Do they love their kids? Do they lead them up in the gospel? And I want to make sure I teach this in a balanced way. Because I think too many times we put, you know, kind of these expectations on pastors' children that we shouldn't. Our children are not called to meet these qualifications. We are. They are going to grow up. They're going to seek out their faith. They're going to have seasons of rebellion. God was the perfect father, and his children disobeyed him. But what we are calling these men to is to lead their kids up in the gospel, lead them in the right way, discipline them, love for them, care for them, play with them, be a great dad. We want these guys to be great dads at their home and take care of their family because if they take care of their family well, they're going to take care of you well. You know, I saw, um, I don't know if anyone saw the advertisement for that new reality show that's called, out called Preacher's Daughters. Please no. It basically was showing Preacher's Daughters that gone wild. I sat there and I said, Father, no. But I said to myself, you know, me and Natalie would do our best. I'm sure Joffrey and Jess and Dave and Sarah would do their best to raise our children in the way of the Lord and to discipline and love them. But I, I hope the congregation shows us grace and shows our children grace as they grow up. And it's more watching how we're raising our children and pray for them to respond to the gospel and be respectful and know the grace of God and change. So we're looking for dads that are leading their kids in the gospel, not that have perfect kids. And I hope that we understand that and we grow as a community in that way. And finally, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. 
pastor is called to be a mature man. Not only for the congregation, but for his own soul. You shouldn't be a recent convert, because let me tell you, when you start the pastor, you're in a battle. You're in a battle. There's tremendous amount of joy, but you are doing spiritual warfare. And people, we need to realize that we're in a battle, that there is an enemy. You have to be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rooted. You have to know your identity in Jesus. You have to know how to pray and do spiritual warfare. You've got to know how to be accountable to others. You've got to know the Bible inside out because there's so many lies that will come your way, so much condemnation, so many people that might judge you, all these things. If you're not rooted in the gospel, you're going to burn out, you're going to fall apart, and you're going to retreat. You're going to. A man must be mature and experienced in the gospel because one of the main things the devil does the snare he sets is to call you into pride, to make you think this office is about you, to make you think that you're called to be some sort of king and you're above the people. That's what the devil fell into, right? He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be applauded. He wanted to be praised. If a man is immature in the faith, he will think it's about him. He will find his identity in someone coming up and saying great message, or the church is doing good, or how many people are there, instead of the gospel. And he will fall apart. And the devil loves nothing better than tearing your family apart as a pastor and tearing the church apart. Do you know that the divorce rate among pastors is the third highest in the nation? Only thing that leads the divorce rate is doctors and policemen. Because let me tell you, we have an enemy He's roaming around like a lion, seeking who he may devour. And if you're not rooted in the gospel, he will devour you. Therefore, you must be mature. You must know the gospel. You must know that you're in a battle. Huge thing as qualifications for a pastor. And he must be thought of well by outsiders. Meaning, once again, this is a public ministry. Both the people in the household of God will look at you, and people outside the household of God will look at you. Does every person have to like you? No, everyone didn't like Jesus. But on an average, <laughs> you've got to be respectable and thought of well by outsiders. It is God's grace and it is God the Holy Spirit that qualifies men for this office. I remember five years ago, I felt so much condemnation being a pastor. I mean, I said to myself, what did I get myself into? I knew I wasn't theologically sound enough. I still had places to grow in my character, and I just felt condemned. I felt like, Joey, who do you think you are? And I remember I listened to this message by Matt Cruz online, and it was kind of the same big idea that is God by his grace qualifies men to the office of pastor. Because if I look at these qualifications, let's be honest, does every man meet every one of these qualifications except for Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I remember Matt preaching and saying, it's not because of who you are and being perfect. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that any man can be a pastor in the household of God. And I remember weeping. And I've shared a couple of times with you where I talked about weeping. It's not too often, but when something really hits me, I weep. And I wept because it was a realization of God's grace to me and to all pastors that this wasn't about us and that the gospel is true, that we won't be perfect, that we won't always 
make the right decisions and we will fall into sin, but that Jesus still loves us and he still loves the church and he still qualifies us and he still takes care of us. He still takes care of us family. And my identity is in him, not in my family's in shortcoming. I remember weeping because feeling the love of God at that moment, saying God is good. No, I am not perfect. No, these men are not perfect. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit has been shaping us and we become more like Jesus every day to the point where we actually can resemble some of these things by God's grace. So I ask you to show tremendous grace to these guys. Even though I can confidently stand before you today and say I believe these guys are called, ready to step into this office. And I believe the Holy Spirit has placed a desire in their hearts. But I will ask you guys a couple things that you could do for these guys and for me. I'd ask that you would uh, just pray for us. And I'm sure many of you already do. Because we need your prayer. I'd ask, us, ask you to show us grace and understand that God's working in us and we're being sanctified and we're repenting and we're growing the same day that we work hard to show you guys grace in every aspect of your life. But most of all, I want you to see the grace of God that he's showing us today in Colin Joffrey and Dave. God's been good to us and as we lay the foundation, we're only six months in, but as we lay the foundation, I love the fact that we're laying the foundation with a team of men who love Jesus and members who love Jesus. No, we start with pastors, then we go to deacons, then we go to members until the household of God is built strong and we're ready to see a movement in Wakefield and beyond and people come to Jesus. Many unchurched people come to Jesus.